0: Uh, I, if I go off on the chili thing right now, there will be no sermon. Because I have an opinion about what chili is and isn't. Uh, hey, <laughs> hey if, you're a, if you're brand new, I, I want to, to tell you, well, actually, if you're not just brand new, I want to tell you what you've just either accidentally or intentionally come in on. Uh, years ago, we as a church every single year would talk about what we are as a church all about like every year we'd be like okay here's our values as a church here's what we do as a church here's how we function as a church we haven't done that for quite some time so if you're brand new and you're like what is this church all about what is it like behind the curtain what's the secret agenda what are they really trying to do what is it really about what is church what should church be about You either accidentally or intentionally showed up at the right time. That's what this series is all about. So all of our locations doing the same thing. Hi, East and downtown and online peeps. As I always say, if you're driving and watching this, pull over. (laughs) So uh, a series called Off the Fence has to start with just so that someone's like, is this about ranching or about my neighbor? So it comes from, well, something we talk about. What's on the fence? On the fence, just, just so we're not making any assumptions. <clears throat> Torn between two options. Characterized by indecision. If you ever go through a drive through Anyone else have those people in your family? Anyone? Okay. It's like you just showed up for the first time to McDonald's. You're like, McDonald's has been around for you? Anyways. We're going to talk about, as a church, this issue. That perhaps, perhaps, you are on the fence about things you should not be on the fence about. And most of us, including myself, Struggle getting off the fence. Now, what's what's the deal? I mean, indecision. Some of you are like, "What's the big deal about going up to a drive-through and you're not knowing exactly sure what you're in the mood for?" And what's the big deal? Here is the the deeper issue, not about drive-throughs, but about life. Indecision can come. What can become indifference? And this is this is why you and I have to talk about. This is why I got to. I'm going to bring the topic up and say, "Let's let's talk about some of the indecision in your life and and mine." Okay but we got to talk about it because it can become indifference where all of a sudden you are far too comfortable sitting in that moment of, well, I'm just not sure yet. The timing isn't right. I'm going to someday or I'm just not there yet or I'm thinking about it. That delay becomes for most of us human nature indifference. If you... uh. If you show up to work indifferent, it's okay to do that for one day. But if you've been indifferent about your job for long enough, do you know that everyone around you knows that you are indifferent about your job and they do not like it? Yeah? Uh, Have you ever been in, this is not to cause a bunch of pain, but have you ever been in a romantic relationship where one of the people became indifferent about the relationship most of us are like oh man now uh, some of us go back to middle school you know like it wasn't fair they just wanted to be friends right and that's another way of saying I'm indifferent about you Uh, and it hurts right we would all agree can we I think we should that an indifferent parent is a bad parent so I think you and I can lock on to say, you know what, there are parts of life that it's okay to be indifferent about what you're going to eat and, and what movie you're going to see and all that kind of stuff, but there are things about in life that if you are indifferent about it, you would say that's tragic, that's horrible, and that's got to be corrected like right now. And the main topic, of course, what about Christians who are indifferent about Christ? And someone's like, we're in church. Well, we're not there. I, I'm a pastor's kid. Come on. I myself have been many times indifferent about Jesus Christ while carrying the title Christian. And here's what I've, I've had enough conversations with people most Christians don't want that. Jesus had an opinion about this. Uh, Let me show it to you in the Bible. If you don't know the context of Revelation, some of when I bring up Revelation, people are like, oh, we're about to get freaky. Oh, no, right? Because Revelation can go some, I mean, it says some stuff. Monsters and stuff. Anyways, Uh, Revelation starts off, though, talking about how Jesus, Jesus wanted some messages delivered to some churches. I mean, it's like basic stuff. Jesus is like, I want this delivered to that church and this delivered to that church. And, and, and so if you look at the beginning of Revelation, there, there are letters drafted. God said, uh, so John here, write this. And John's like, okay, cool, write this. And this, and this went to different churches. I want to show you Jesus' opinion because this is his message to a church. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. Watch out. I know all the things you do, oops, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other, but since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. The original language speaks to I will vomit you. If you want to know Jesus' opinion about Christians who are indifferent about Jesus Christ, he finds it nauseating. That's what he just said. Makes some of us a little squirrely now in our seats, going, oh, no. Revelation 3.19, just a little bit further down. I correct and discipline everyone I love. If you want to know, what's he going to do? That. You can right now say, what stage am I in? You can choose correction right now and hopefully not have the discipline part. I correct and discipline everyone I love, so be diligent and turn from your indifference. Now, I was a horrible, utterly horrible student in almost all of my schooling. And so I'm like, indifferent about what? So here, let me remind you, Revelation 3.15, I read to you, I know all the things you do. If you have never read the Bible and you've never had it explained to you, let me just tell you what the Bible just said. Jesus himself said, I want you to deliver this letter to this church. If you are indifferent about me, I find that nauseating. And specifically, if you are indifferent about Jesus by the things that you do, listen, not what you believe. Not indifferent about, well, I'm not sure what I think about the transfiguration or the tribulation or the or what is, are we once saved, always saved, or do we lose our salvation? No, he says, the things that you're doing are nauseating to me. Or, you could read it correctly, the things that you aren't doing are nauseating. So let me ask you a question. Is there any indifference in your relationship with God? Don't answer out loud. That's not the kind of question this is. Uh, Don't raise your hand. This is really, get introspective right now. Is there something in your relationship with God? How would you privately describe it? Zero as horrible, 10 is like the most amazing epic thing. Is there any ounce, any number of indifference in your relationship with God? According to Jesus himself, he wants you and I to correct that. So while you think about that, let's have a chat. <laughs> Some of you wish I had a pipe right now. <clears throat> Me being one. Uh, do you remember the pandemic? Some of you are like, uh Uh, whether you agreed with it or not we as a church stopped gathering for i believe it was 20 weeks i think i'm not asking you to right now think if you agreed with it or not that's not at all a conversation (laughs) but there was a season we as a church went from worshiping together in person Gathering, scripture speaks of the power, literally the spiritual, supernatural power of us gathering in person. There is something that occurs that God does that's amazing. Then all of a sudden, the doors are locked, at least at Fountain Springs Church buildings. And we went here. <laughs> and so if you're like me, that meant I went to my chair, because <clears throat> it's a good one, wherein Sweatpants shorts. That's probably more information than you want. If you've never tried sweatpants shorts, I it's weird. I can't say sweat shorts because that's weird sounding. Sweatpants shorts, you got me. Most comfortable things you get, everywhere. Anyways, never mind. Not in my notes. I'm wasting time. This is bad. We went here and worship began to be, and I'm not faulting anyone, we as a church facilitated it and continue to facilitate it. Hi, online. But we did this, and a frustration began to brew in most followers of Jesus Christ. A eventual conclusion, at least that I went to, I would sit down and I would watch church. Yes, watching me preach was weird, but anyways, I would sit and watch. I would watch the music. I would watch the the giving times and the sacrifice times, and, and then I would watch sermon whether it was me or someone else and I would watch it and I would get done and be like Ugh. it's not like being in person It was okay. It was a bridge. It was what we could do and what we continue to do as a church because everyone can't gather in person. That's just the reality of life now, and now all over the world, we're able to share the gospel, which is amazing. Online is not wrong, but the problem is now arising now that we gather in person, and we're like, finally, we get into person. Here's what some of us are doing. We're like, cool. I'm going to go in person, so I'm going to switch chairs, look at that and we're like now it's right right now 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 church is doing what it needs to be doing probably get some new chairs too come on these are old <laughs> now I like my chair at home there is there is a great temptation going on not just in our church but I think churches across the specifically United States of America where we have gotten out of our cushy chairs and we've re-entered the chairs of the church and gone, finally we're being Christians again. And I would say, I don't think Jesus has called you to a certain kind of chair. And I think our danger right now, our temptation is, is we're going to think being back in a building is our duty to the Lord. And I would say, be careful. Should we gather? You better believe it. But is that the only thing that we are called to? And I would say no. The world needs Christians to not relegate their relationship with Jesus Christ to what chair they happen to be sitting in. And this is the message that we all, your pastor, all of us need to hear. So, hence the series. Get off the fence. So what is the definition? How do you get off the fence? To make a decision, to stop delaying? If you needed your sign from God, i'm not him but let me be clear stop delaying your full in engaged relationship with god stop pacifying it stop saying i'm going to stop saying i'm going to randomly do it it's where you and i get off the fence and we say i am going to intentionally all the time aggressively dive in and be a part of this relationship with god The pandemic, whatever you think about it, disregard that now, because that does actually not have anything to do with, are you going to be devoted to Jesus? But the mainstream kind of vibe going on has many of us so distracted that we're actually delaying, becoming indifferent, going, I will get to that someday. So Jesus gave us a story to get us off the fence. I love that Jesus gave us stories because again, I need stories to remember stuff or more importantly, to even pay attention. So here's the story that we as a church have latched onto. We asked God years ago, give us a story. Sure, we'll share it with other people. We'll be nice. It's in the Bible. We can't like completely copyright it, but uh, we want the story and God gave us this story. This is our story. We, this is where our values come from. I'll read it to you. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. For a little, just let that sink in where that's, yep, he's being a jerk. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him. And the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that he's not like me looking at the pigs going bacon. That even, even the pods, if you've ever seen what pigs eat, you get what exactly is being said. That even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have enough food to spare and here I'm dying of hunger I will go to my father and say watch this this is what shame does this is when we mess up and we screw up and we say I can't go back to church I can't talk to Christians he is the same thing father I have sinned against both heaven and you I am no longer worthy of being called your son please take me on as a hired servant that's the setup for the whole story Jesus tells this story Jesus is not just telling a story to get some kids to go to sleep. Are we clear on this? Jesus tells a story. If you read the whole chapter, he actually says a few stories, right? And he says these stories trying to help you and I lock on to something. Here's what I believe as I have studied the Bible. I think this particular chapter was not just for the people who heard it originally. I actually believe Jesus was assigning a system of core values that an individual, a business, I know schools who are actually using this covertly as a way to drive the schools and definitely as a church, we can use this value system that Jesus put inside of this story to govern our entire life and make sure that we don't actually become nauseating to our Savior. The values are so important it's such a big deal we're only going to cover one a week so let me show you the first one so he returned home to his father and while he was still a long way off his father saw him coming filled with love and compassion he ran to his son for a second The last person who screwed you over, put you in the mud, embarrassed you, hurt you, negatively impacted you, wronged you, offended you, hurt you. What'd you do? I'll reread this. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. His father, the one who was hurt, filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son. The victim... Interesting, isn't it? Nowadays, the world tells you, oh, you're a victim, sit down and we will care for you for the rest of your life. The victim was filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, and basically spells out this rehearsed line. I have sinned against both heaven and you. We already know he's rehearsed it. And I know I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. The value that just was revealed to you is powerful and needs to be lived out by every single Christian. This idea of running to people. Some of us think, well, well, it was his son. So you're telling me you've never been hurt by family and thought about maybe we don't need to be family? That's, That's a pretty inaccurate way to... And, and, and well dad missed his son right so that's that's I mean dad dad was like I haven't seen you in so long so I'm going to run to you and then there's the weirdness of the dad even running do you know that no other place in the bible does it bring up if you don't know who what's going on that the dad is is God and the idea that dad the, the leader of the home would hike up his robe because that's what he had on he didn't have jeans on he didn't have Nikes on I assure you he did not I'm telling you, the guy had a robe on with probably some sandals and he's now sprinting to his son. One, awkward, you don't need the description, but really awkward. You've got some pasty skin showing. It's not beautiful. And you've got a guy who probably never runs. The Bible does not mention God hurrying anywhere. God doesn't hurry except here. Except here where the father is running to the son, and it wasn't because he missed him. He ran to save him. What we believe about the study of this story, that son, he revealed that he had sinned against God, and he had sinned against his father. Basically, he's revealing that I actually have consequences coming my way. Uh, Culturally, the son uh, would have been apprehended by whoever could get their hands on him first. Not family members, friends of the family, acquaintances. Because as soon as they see this kid who took the family name and put it into the mud, there were consequences. Consequences would have been, at best, just some prison time. Most likely, the whole town would have put him in the center of the town, got stones and stoned him to death and killed him for disgracing his family. So I tell you, when Jesus says specifically that he ran to his son, it was to get to his son first before anyone else could get to him. Is that the posture of most Christians that you know about? Where we see someone who is not living as they ought to, have not done what they should have, and it's personal, and we are running to them to save them. That's what's supposed to be happening. That's called unconditional love now many of us would be like well I got that I got that for my kids Jesus is challenging you and I listen to have unconditional love for his kids too and that's not easy one of the values that we have as a church is unconditional love I get challenged on this all the time by the way it's fun unconditional. But do you know what they did? Yeah. Love is not an endorsement of another person's behavior. That is what you will hear on TV, on social media, from other people. They will tell you. If you love that person, then you, then you agree with them. As a parent, I assure you, no. No, no, no. I have tons of people in my life that live a completely different way of living than I do, and I love them passionately and do not endorse everything in their life, nor do they endorse everything in my life. Do not buy the lie. It's a lie of the devil that you have to endorse someone's everything, what they want, whatever it is that they want you to endorse in order to love them, not according to Jesus, and I'd like to prove it because Jesus didn't only talk about this in a story and say, hey, best of luck, like my story, hopefully you'll remember it. Jesus lived this out. Let me show you where Jesus lives it out. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests. Oh, this is good. Along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. I don't know how to say it. I want to say it with a British accent. I'm not going to. But when the Pharisees saw this, you don't know what a pharisee is someone who knew the law really well almost too well and they thought a lot about themselves they asked his disciples why does your teacher eat with such scum I know a lot of people who feel like the church has made them feel like scum I know a lot of people who have been told, not the word scum, but other words, that that's what they are. This this should like stir something in you going, oh my. Those are fighting words. If you're ever at dinner with someone, come on, if you're ever at dinner with someone, and one of your dinner guests says, they're scum, not you guys, you guys are wonderful you do understand what happens at dinner like utensils fly like stuff happens but we got Jesus when Jesus heard this he said healthy people don't need a doctor sick people do I don't know if you caught what he just said Do you know that Jesus kind of just agreed with the scum comment? Follow me on this. Do you notice that Jesus didn't just say, nothing's wrong with them. How dare you? They're doing their own thing. Chill. Quit being so judgy. Uh, Jesus just called the scum sick just let it sit for a second huh healthy people don't need a doctor sick people do then he added now go and learn the meaning of this scripture but in other words go learn the bible i want you to show mercy not offer sacrifices for i have come to call not those who think they are righteous but those who know they are sinners those who know they are sinners. Again, if you want to be offended, be offended by Jesus. Jesus just called the people in the room sinners. Sometimes we talk about Jesus as though He's like, just, hey guys, do what you want. Let's be chill. Let's all love each other. And our interpretation of loving each other is that we don't address what's really going on, which makes us indifferent about life. That's the track we're heading. Because if we can't say anything that we need to say, you know where that takes us? We're indifferent about everything because we're afraid to speak. Jesus was like, you called them scum? Well, guess who I'm here for? Which teaches us about love. If you like to take notes, now is the time. Love isn't indifferent. I do not believe it's possible to love another human being and at the same time be indifferent about how you are loving them. This idea of like, well, I told them when we got married, I thought they knew about it. We've got a piece of paper that proves it. If you think people say that, oh, you better believe they do. I'm making money for the household. Don't they know I love them? I'm doing the laundry. Don't they know that I love them? I could spend all day here. We've got to be good at love. The church, the Christians, are supposed to be known by this. We need to be so good at it that people are like, yeah, they dress weird, they sing some songs I don't understand, and they talk about sacrifice, but man alive. Man, do they love others well. That's what we're supposed to be known. That's a value. So love isn't indifferent about what? About sin. This is where uh, some of you won't be back uh, next week. It's fine. Uh, let me just tell you, love isn't indifferent about sin because Jesus' love isn't indifferent about sin. I already read it to you. I don't need to reread it to you that Jesus in the midst of a group of people who are disreputable people called them sinners. Sinners. He oftentimes, he told a woman one time who was caught in, in an affair, hey, uh, don't do that again. And since the beginning of time, I would tell you the devil has been trying to trick us about God's love specifically, about what God thinks is important and what God thinks is true and what God says is his best. Let me take you really quick to the very beginning, Genesis 3.1. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? So this is like the original temptation. You got that, right? He's like, hey, did God really say? And since then and still to this day, especially today, he's saying it to many people. Did God really say dot, dot, dot? If you're trying to follow Jesus, if you're trying to be off the fence about Jesus and not understanding that sin is real and that you and I have got to fight against sin that we, in our own lives and the lives of others, you're going to find yourself going, "Did God really say that in the first place?" And we become indifferent, and then we become nauseating to our Savior that we're claiming. It's truth. Don't be indifferent about it. Now, some of us are like, but there's these people that stand out with signs and say, I'm going to burn in hell if I don't. I know. That's why there's another part. Love isn't indifferent about grace. Let me show you more about Jesus because it's really cool. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city, if you're new to the Bible, I'll tell you what the original language talks about, a prostitute. If you, there, there, you got it. Sorry if you didn't want your kids to hear that. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a prostitute from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. That's important. This prostitute, I mean, I'm calling her a prostitute. It's unfair that I call her that. But that's what she's known for. That's the name that she gets right here. Her tears tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Hopefully you're educated enough with our church, you're like, yeah, but he is too. I agree. I tell you, her sins... And they are many. Can we just stop there for a second? Learn about Jesus. He just said that out loud. Yes, she heard it. Have been forgiven. When you see a person, do you see the sin or the chance to be forgiven? unconditional love but a person who is forgiven little shows only little love then jesus said to the woman your sins are forgiven let me teach you about unconditional love unconditional love wants grace to win unconditional love wants grace to win this church wants grace to win Sometimes I'm sure I frustrate you for multiple reasons, but one of them being, why doesn't he, like, hammer the truth? Why doesn't he just, like, drill people in their brains over and over? Why don't we talk about what... what? The court systems, they're talking about why don't we? Well, the government, we're all going to vote on this. And why don't I'm telling you, our agenda is that grace would win. And that means grace and truth need to be present at the same time. The model Jesus gave us was not just to accept everyone's behavior, it also wasn't just tell them the truth. We're supposed to bring grace and truth into everything. If you're only bringing one, listen if you're only bringing grace to the relationship, you're on the fence. If you're only bringing truth, you're on the fence. And we as a church want grace to win. In 2011, our church was burglarized uh, I'm learning the official terms it's not robbed burglarized we were in a building project uh, the west location was being expanded and uh, and we showed up one Sunday morning and realized that uh, this stage in specific this, this stage had been cleared um, not to be kind multiple things instruments um, lots of stuff that the youth uh, used during the week all uh, just gone it was, if you've ever been burglarized, if you've ever had someone break into something that you own, you know the feeling of vulnerability and betrayal. And you begin to, like, I mean, just stir up. If you don't know this happens, you begin also feel unsafe. And there's all this stuff brewing. And um, did the police report and all that kind of stuff. And police told us what you would expect like, hey, um, you're never going to see that stuff again. And we're probably not going to know who this was and all that. Then we got a phone call. Hey, uh, we caught the guy. And they were doing more of a, a, hey, is it this stuff, and this stuff, and this stuff, and this stuff. And we're like, yeah, that's the stuff. And I'm like, okay. I thought it was over till I got uh, a summons. I was like, hey, I'm a pastor. That's not how this works. I don't have to go to court and testify against anyone. And, Well, what I was supposed to do was go and actually identify the person. I was like, how do I do that? How do I identify, oh my goodness, I know this person. I've had coffee with this person. I I did the wedding for this person. I knew him really well. I'll never forget sitting on a witness stand. I'd seen it on TV. Uh, I never thought I'd be right there, looking at a, an old friend. I don't know what. Saying, "Yeah, that's so and so." Thanks, Reverend David. <laughs> Left the stand, walked out of the courtroom. I'll never forget. It. It's one of the lowest moments I've ever had as a pastor. We got some of our stuff back. We moved on as a church. And one of the things that's passionate about us as a church is that we would be in the jails and the prisons spreading the Gospel. That's one of that, that, that fuels us as a church. And so uh, if you didn't know this, when we're allowed to be there, we actually, we actually do uh, church services at a local minimum security prison. And, uh, and uh, part of that, we do Celebrate Recovery. We do a Celebrate Recovery group with the fellas at the minimum security prison. And so I, I was invited, hey, would you come lead the Bible study sometime? And I was like, I would love to. And so I showed up, and there was chairs sitting in a circle. I get into the circle. I've got my lesson plan already. I'm a good teacher, come on, let's go. I'm like, alright, guys, open up your Bible. And a guy comes in late, sits in the open chair, and I'm like... It's the guy. One, I'm like, are we allowed to be in the same room together? He sits down and realizes, it's David. Oh no. And we're just staring at each other. Probably really awkward for everyone else in the circle. (laughs) If you're wondering, well, what did you do, Pastor David? Um, I'm not trained on this part. Lots of emotions. So I set the lesson plan down. And just started speaking, hoping that it was the Holy Spirit. So I started off with, not suggesting this was the Holy Spirit. Guys, do you know that guy? (laughs) What was interesting was they were like, oh yeah. Uh, Not favorable. Not a favorable vote in that moment. He was getting voted off the island if we did it right there. One guy, I don't know who it was, pipes up. You know why he's in here, Pastor David? Why is that? I didn't lie. I just asked the question. Why is that? He stole from a church. And I'm like, I don't... And then it clicked. I did know what to do. I knew what to do. I said, guys, um, I'll let him tell you the story, but I'm going to have a conversation with him. You guys are welcome to listen in. And they wanted to. And I called him by his name and I said, I want you to know something. I love you. My family loves you. Your church loves you. And we forgive you. And uh, he got up and we hugged. Uh, I don't know how the rest of his life has gone. But I did tell him, I said, "You are always welcome. We will always save a seat for you. If you want to know, David, do you feel all that? Do you like want to say that? No. No. But that's what Jesus, I think, would have done. You're forgiven. Let's move on. In fact, I think that's an application of a scripture. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. How? Just as I have loved you. You don't love people the way that you want to. Can we stop that? You don't get to love someone based on your mood or their actions or what you want or what you think is politically correct or incorrect. It does not say that. It says here's how we love people we follow jesus's model anything and everything jesus did you and i can apply it just as i have loved you you should love each other your love for one another will prove will prove to the world that you are my disciples fence check here who are you refusing to run to you are always welcome in this church but if you want to know something that we find valuable enough to make it one of our values it is unconditional love so whoever you are wherever you come from whatever you are about whatever you believe we are running to you not to just bring you truth to bring you grace and truth we will tell you what God actually says but we will love you passionately that's what it means to be a part of this church We value it, we live it out, and it is core. It is the beginning. That's why this whole series starts here. It starts with love, so you know that in the weeks to come, you don't just tell someone you love them, you prove it. We're going to talk about that, but we start here. Who are you refusing to run to? Who are you refusing to forgive? Who are you refusing to invite to your home, to a cup of coffee, to church, to whatever? Who are you refusing to run to? And that is your sign of the part of the fence that you are stuck on. And Jesus is calling us to get off the fence. I think that's a good place to finish. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, Lord, we ask... uh, We need your power, and we need your authority, and we need your hand to actually move in our hearts because, God, it's hard for us to love anyone and everyone unconditionally. God, there is truth, and it is powerful, it is life-giving, but, God, sometimes your truth can be frustrating. I'll just tell you now, it can be frustrating. When you say this and that, sometimes I'm like, but I don't like that. So, Lord, I ask that you would speak to our souls and help us to receive what is true and kick out what is false. Lord, would you help us to know in this cloudy world of lots of information what you say is true. And God, may we be an environment, a group of people and individuals full of grace where we are known by how we love. Lord, I ask that you would do a mighty work That you would awaken every Christian willing to walk this out. We love you. Thank you for loving us first. In the name of Jesus, amen.